Master Tavern Keepers, History of the Old World. So, Master Alchemist, in your retelling of the massacre at Vinwood, I couldn't help but notice the absence of Prince Donald Bane and his entourage. Where was he whilst his allies, the McCumans, were committing murder most horrid upon the field of play? Oh, yes, indeed. He was not at Vinwood. No, Donald Bane had journeyed inland separately to try and recruit others to the cause of the Alliance. But his only success had been the infamous drunks of Clan McCooligan. Ah, yes. Now, in the play, it had been his great oration that had swayed the McCooligans to his banner. If I recall right, it went something like this. Our country sinks beneath the yoke. It weeps, it bleeds. And each new day, a gash is added to her wounds. Oh, Albion, oh, Albion, let us end this choke. Hold joined hands with me and B. Can I just stop you there, Septimus, though? I'm pretty sure the real Donobane didn't say any of that. Oration? Nay, just regular conversation, even. We're definitely not where his skills shone. I think rather it was his broad and deep pay chest that brought the McCooligans to his side. That and the large barrel of uh, whiskey he gifted to the clan laird Doco McCooligan and his drinking lackeys. Ah, I see. Well, that does make a lot more sense. And so his great speech was naught but a construction of the playwright. What a shame. Well then, uh, dare I ask, what of the monster of Loch Lorm? Was this too another piece of fiction? Oh no, don't worry on that point. The monster very much existed. Make no mistake about that. Ah, now that's more like it. Please, tell us more. Well, after gaining the fealty of Docker and his git, Donald Bain led his forces, by the most direct route possible, out of the seat of Clan McCooligan, up through the highland of Lorne Valley, towards Castle Runcinane and Macduff. It was not an uneventful journey, though. Now, the valley had long been controlled by the Keeler clan, also known as the Maltmen of Lorne Valley, who were well known back then as the king's own malters, and had provided whiskey to the king's court since the time of King Dunco's father. During the reign of Macduff, their power was waning though, but they still had the largest distillery in all of Albion. The design and layout of the distillery was the brainchild of Bruben Keeder. It consisted of three linked buildings, a dormitory, a storehouse, and the stillhouse itself. It was here that the uh, distilling took place. It began with malting, then mashing, Next, the fermenting, and finally the distilling. The healers had got the whole thing down to a fine art, and their process has served as a template for making whiskey up and down the country ever since. The whiskey from Loch Lorm was particularly famed for its pure and unsullied taste. This was because of the water that they used. It was taken from the nearby uh, Lorm Beck, a mountain brook known for its clear, sparkling quality, as well as the fact that it also fed the waters of Loch Lorm itself. 
the lair of the equally famous monster. Ah, I see. And so what of the monster? On stage, it was represented by a simple pair of gnashing jaws attached to a long snakeskin. But what was the beast really like? Oh, well, from the descriptions I've heard, that's not too far off the mark. The old stories described it as a large reptilian beast with thick scaly skin, a long, wide, gaping maw, and tall frilled fin running along its skull. Its body was covered in a thick, bony carapace from which deadly spikes and horns protruded, as well as uh, four taloned fins for limbs and a short scaly tail. It lived at the bottom of the loch for centuries and kept a narrow valley around the loch free from the uh, taint of man until the keelers came. The beast was old by the time the distillery was constructed and it seemed to spend most of its time sleeping in the watery depths. Its eyesight in particular seemed to have uh, deteriorated and relied on uh, acute hearing to catch its prey. As a result, the keelers had learned to uh, take certain precautions in order to avoid attracting the attentions of the hungry monster. They used to toss animal carcasses into the lock to sate its hunger and would never raise their voices above a murmur as they worked. The maltmen used to have to go near the lock as part of their work, went so far as to wrap bandages around their boots to muffle them, and in this way, both the maltman and the monster coexisted in relative peace. Oh, yeah. Now, I have faced my fair share of monsters in the uh, dungeons of the old world, but never have I seen a creature like that. I would sorely like to test my mettle against such a beast. Ugh, rather you than me. I encountered one of these creatures, at least I think so, whilst I was up north, studying with the venerable Lyme. It was a a terrifying sight. Fortunately, the old truth-sayer was most proficient in the magic of Gur, and was able to pacify the monster and send it back to the depths to slumber, but uh, it had already caused quite a bit of harm to the locals there. Oh, my goodness. Aye, but I think that's enough uh, scene setting. Let's get to the skirmish at Loch Lorm. Prince Donalbane came from the south and entered the valley close to the woods near the ford through Lorm Beck, just shy of where she spills into Loch Lorm itself. He was accompanied by the magician Mir Grey Colconer, the clan Laird Docko McCooligan, and around 30 clansmen. Mir Grey knew all about the monster of Loch Lorm and was extremely concerned. The clansmen McCooligan were a noisy bunch at the best of times, but even more so when roused for battle. They were renowned for shaking their battle rattles and shouting unrepeatable war cries at the top of their lungs upon spying the enemy. Exactly the sort of behaviour that would draw out the monster like a bear to a beehive. Donald Bain had hoped to simply skirt past the distillery on the way to Castle Runcenane, but as soon as Docko and the rest of the clan spied it, they were determined to storm the compound and carry away all of the liquor. Now, as it happens, the Maltman had just completed a very large order for the court of Macduff and were about to transport it to the castle. It had taken the better part of three months to distill and the entire consignment of twelve full barrels were about to be heaved out of the storehouse, loaded onto a rickety old dray and depart when Donald Bain and the McCooligans arrived. For the Keelers, this consignment was key to their survival. They had pulled all of their resources into its production, and if it was lost, then so were they. 
as they would have neither the money to pay back their creditors, nor to buy ingredients and resources to continue. Times were hard for everyone back then, but particularly those who had fully embraced the economic revolution that Donko's father had brought about. Many of the most savvy men and women in East Albion had initially become very wealthy when he had uh, first introduced the concept of money. The leaders of these families becoming the thanes we've been talking about. But as the reality of the uh, exploitive system of credit and debt became apparent, each fell into hardship as all the wealth slowly trickled into the hands of the most powerful, with Macbeth being foremost amongst these. This was, of course, another factor that contributed to the rise of the alliance against him. After the end of Macbeth's reign, it was with a sigh of relief that the use of money was abandoned and forgotten in favour of a return to a stability, self-sufficiency and mutual cooperation within individual communities. Uh, anyhow, let's get back to the fighting. Doko and the McCooligans immediately let out a cheer as they spied the distillery. which was immediately joined by a roar as the monster of the lock awoke. And the sentry on top of the still could not help but spot the McCooligans and the monster and raise the alarm. Intruders! Grab your weapons! Ugh, the monster too has awoken! Donald Bane and Mirgray too noticed the reptilian head momentarily rise up before again disappearing into the waters of the lock. Doko McCooligan, a worthy laird and leader. In the lock there lies a beast, a sleepy bottom feeder. What was it we spoke of, to avoid being beaten? At this noise he will awake and will end up being eaten. But Doko and his get did not hearken to the magician's words and instead brought out the battle rattles and charged across the ford of Lorenbeck. Doko led all 30 of his clansmen across the ford, with Donald Bane and uh, Murgray suddenly accompanying them. At the alarm, Reuben Keeler led the ten or so malters in the distillery compound out of their dormitories to man the stout fence and face the interlopers. Additionally, back over at the Keeler Inn, just into the north there, another five maltmen too stormed out to see what was going on. The McCooligans roared with battle lust to see their foes, and, ignoring the shouts from Murgray to be quiet, shook their battle rattles once more and raced towards their foes. Of the three dozen men, around ten made their way towards the inn, and the rest moved to storm the distillery. Behind them, the monster dragged itself out of the waters near the ford, and lumbered after the bulk of the McCooligans, its maw gnashing in its eagerness to feed. The clansmen remained unaware though, and moved out of line of sight of the defenders, back behind the hill that lay between them and the distillery, before moving into the nearby woods, all the while shaking their battle rattles and shouting curses as they went. 
This movement inadvertently saved a number of their lives though, as the monster couldn't follow them into the dense thicket of the copse. Mergrey and Donalbane were all too aware of the creature though, and broke off from the clansmen. The wizard climbed the hill, whilst the heir to the throne, slowed down by his armour, decided to make up for his slowness by uh, making directly for the main gate. If they're going to do this, they needed to be quick. The Moldman in the compound amassed to protect the gate, and upon reaching the top of the hillock, Mirgray saw this and cast a fireball at them, slaying a trio of them, sending Reuben running for cover and causing the gate to catch fire. Off to the north, the Moldman from the inn charged towards the McCooligans, but the ungodly noise made by the clansmen sent a wave of fear running up through the spines of the keelers, and they could not bring themselves to charge their foes. The ten McCooligans sent to deal with them, though, had no such qualms, and charged the Malters, crashing into them and cutting them down as they stood. the screams of the dying, drawing the monster from the lock to them. Back on the hill, Mirgray cast another fireball at the Moldman at the gate, killing another two and causing the gate to collapse just as Donalbane reached it, his double-handed sword held high. Behind him, he could hear the bloodthirsty cries of Docko and the McCooligans going nearer as they left the woods and ran at the open gate. Back by the inn, a single Malta remained standing after the initial charge by the McCooligan clansmen, but perhaps he'd have preferred to have been killed on their blades, as, upon hearing the roar of the beast behind them, the clansmen broke off from their attack and moved towards the inn, leaving the last stunned, blood-splattered keeler between them and the Lochlorn monster. The beast raised up its head high before lunging down and biting deep into the torso of the unlucky whiskey worker, bloodily cutting him in two, before greedily feasting upon the dead man. Back at the compound, Donalbane found himself fighting as the leader of the healers, the portly Bruben. The Malta was no match for Donalbane, and the heir to the throne parried Bruben's curved blade out of the way and thrust his own blade deep into the man. Bruben slumped over onto the blade, with a howl of pain, apparently dead. But suddenly, Donald Bain felt his strength drain out of him, and he staggered back, releasing his weapon. Reuben didn't fall over. Instead, he stood, his sword glowing with power. He pulled Donald Bain's weapon out of his body, and the king's heir saw the wound begin to immediately heal. Behind him, the remaining keelers assembled and began to move on Donalbane. Oh, yeah. Was this Bruben some kind of undead creature or something? What was going on? Ah, now Heinrich, you see, it wasn't the man. It was the sword. Bruben wielded the legendary blade, the Malter's falchion, that was able to uh, drain the strength out of its enemies and heal the wielder of the weapon. There are even rumours that it uh, allows the bearer to breathe underwater. Anyhow, before the restored Bruben and his men could hack the unarmed Donald Bain to pieces, Docko and the McCooligans burst through the open gate 
and threw themselves at the mobman and their leader. Their frenzied hacking, cutting down their foes in an orgy of bloodletting. And back down by the inn, the clansmen there all fled into the building to avoid the monster, leaving it to feed upon the fallen. The beast quickly became sated before dragging itself off back into the waters of the lock to sleep off its hearty meal. By the gods, yet another brutal and tragic massacre of innocents. I'm beginning to see the tale in a, in a whole new light. It is no bedtime story for children to be true, but acts such as this are commonplace, both in Albion and here in the old world. To pretend otherwise would be to uh, willingly close your eyes to the knife's edge of existence we all inhabit. Ever since the coming of chaos, we have known only strife and war, and so shall it be until the end times. Our collective psyche is scarred by its unnatural presence, and it twists and bends each and every skein of fate, no matter how trivial, towards death, misery, and destruction. To fight on and live is the best we can ever hope for. Your words cut deeper than any blade, Master Alchemist. I'm a truth-sayer. Even if it is hard to say, I must speak the truth. But, Cedric, just to change tack, what about the booze? Ugh, should have known you'd not forgotten about that. Well, the losses for the McHooligans had been slight, and with the deaths of all the keelers, they loaded up all of the barrels of whiskey onto the dray and left with the entire consignment, easily having enough alcohol to get them to Castle Runcenane. But before they reached there, Donald Bain and the McHooligans were to a rendezvous with the forces of Harkness, who had been recruited by the valiant warrior John Quickshire, and together they would battle against Macdeath's lieutenant, Ian McCrecker, Governor Dungle Hill. And it's here we will once more meet the giant, Markle Grimmock, and some of Macdeath's own orcs. Rest assured, once more the blood will flow like a river before the final battle against Macbeth at his castle. <laughs>